Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, Program Director at Faith and Grief. We're a nonprofit that provides grief support programs in person and online through support gatherings, grief workshops, and retreats. Find out more about our programs and this podcast at faithandgrief.org. We hope the stories and interviews you hear provide some comfort and hope on your grief journey. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Chris Kotcher of COVID Survivors for Change, which is a nationwide network of COVID-19 survivors and families affected by the virus who are coming together and sharing their stories and advocating for life-saving policies. This grassroots nonpartisan community is committed to elevating survivor voices, finding community in tragedy, and empowering our neighbors and lawmakers to make a better response to the pandemic and to future ones. Chris and I talk about grief during the pandemic, and how to support those who are grieving. Tell me the story of COVID Survivors for Change. So um, so I had been working for close to a decade in the gun violence prevention movement. My background is as an attorney, um, and I worked in the mayor's office for a number of years, and I worked for Every Town for Gun Safety and Moms in Action. And I, like I said, I started as an attorney writing legislation, researching policy, and started connecting with families who had been impacted by gun violence. And we built programs to support story sharing and advocacy training, building community, um, helping connect with each other, um, running on running support groups online and otherwise connecting to counseling, um, building peer support, all that, all those sort of really important things that go along with that. And I was very, you know, moved and, and inspired by that work and expected to be there for some time. And, um, you know, as we were ta- discussing, I live in Queens in New York City. So um, my community was one of those, you know, first wave neighborhoods that was devastated. Um, and, you know, I had friends that had COVID and we had, you know, families at my daughter's school who lost loved ones. Um, and I started thinking, is there something that I can do to jump into the space to bring what I've learned about grief and trauma, but, you know, even more importantly, that space between uh, grief and trauma and advocacy into this space and um, build out something to support these families. So that's why we launched uh, COVID Survivors for Change uh, last summer at this point now. Yeah, it's hard to believe where we are. Like, it is. It's Time hard. is a weird uh, concept for sure. Especially this past year, like days seem like weeks. Um, we joked about, you know, what's a Friday. Um, I feel <laughs> that way too. Like I just yeah. feel like it's a series of Mondays. Um, and the idea that we're coming up to a year almost, right, of the the, the beginning of yeah. the lockdowns um, and, you know, more horrifying, horrifyingly, the, the idea that we're, you know, we just uh, uh, moved past January, which was the worst month that we've had and the idea, you know, looking back to what we went through here in New York City and some other communities in the, that March, April, May window, the idea that we would be, uh, that would be happening everywhere, um, all across the country, um, never in my worst nightmares that I imagine that something that, that that would be happening. And I don't think any of us expected, yeah. one certainly expected this to be a year out and we're still feeling the impact. Yeah. And yes, like we just had our worst couple of months here in Texas and you know it's been horrible yeah um the healthcare workers are worn out because they've been doing this for a year now um and you know we've we've been locked down and inconvenienced to some degree but their lives have forever changed funeral directors their lives completely different than what their typical things i mean we're all in that weird space yeah no i mean i i think about how much how different my life is and how challenging my life has been Thankfully, you know, me and everyone in my immediate family has been healthy throughout this, but, you know, dealing with virtual learning, I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old and 
Um, that, that feels such small peanuts and so inconsequential compared to the enormous economic displacement, um, the around the clock work to try to uh, treat people that others have been doing, the frontline workers in grocery stores and elsewhere, and knowing how this is has disproportionately impacted communities of color. Um, so it feels um, as disruptive as it feels to my family, knowing that so, you know everyone else is dealing with so much worse. So in the course, since you really started COVID Survivors for Change, I first became aware of your organization from the original uh, open chair memorials. Yeah, that were uh, the empty chairs. Um, And I remember the first time I saw one online and I thought, one, I was shocked someone hadn't done it before. Um, But I was so glad that someone had decided that that those lives needed to be recognized and that they needed that impact. There had to be some kind of visual impact. So people because we start talking statistics and that's where this ends up and people you know, numbers don't mean a whole lot to a lot of people. They don't, things unfortunately won't change until it's, people are directly affected. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that was, you know, I, we spent a lot of time in the gun violence prevention movement thinking about that, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, the other major public health crisis that the country is experiencing and continues to experience. But we spent a lot of time thinking about, well, how do you help people understand that behind every statistic is a person, behind every face is a story, um, behind every death is a life lived, and on top of that, that there are countless people who are wounded, right, in the gun violence space or have survived COVID, that have had are living with, you know, like we just talked about the healthcare workers, PTSD and trauma, the people who are living with, um, you know, significant mental health trauma from from everything that's happened, and so when we uh, started COVID survivors for change, the first thing that we saw was just the the lack of recognition and memorialization and how uh, how uh, hurtful that was to people, um, how how much that was complicating their grief and adding grief and trauma to already um, very uh, emotional and difficult experiences. And so when I first you know started COVID survivors for change, that was the first thing that I heard, right was that, um, our loved ones are not being recognized. And when you think about, so when we said, well, how can we recognize and give face to the scale of this of this trauma? And, and to, to look back and think only in October, where we had, you know, only 200,000 people, and that number seemed so catastrophically, and it is so catastrophically high, but to think, you know, that that's, you know, less than half of, of where we where we are now is, is, is really truly heartbreaking. But we jumped in and we said, um, how can we build something um, in that space where under normal, you know, typical crises, you know, times and, and typical um, moments like this, we gather in that emotional nerve center of the country, which is the mall in front of the Capitol, in front of the White House. Um, that's where we come together after, uh, after other tragedies to heal as a nation, to remember those whose lives have been taken. And so we thought it was really important to go into that sort of center of the nation, that emotional and political center, um, and to say out loud, these lives mattered, um, to give face to, like I said, to give face to the, to the, the lives that have been taken, to talk about all of the, uh, all of the, uh, the, the loss that people are experiencing. And so when we, when we, and we knew that, you know, art is one of those things that really um, moves and inspires. And we, we always wanted to have a visual uh, art tribute as part of that. And we, you know, bounced around with a couple ideas and nothing really seemed to really capture the scale uh, of the of the of the loss and and the impact that people were feeling, 
And, you know, someone suggested chairs. And, and I think we all sort of went in that moment, ah, that's it, right? That is, it both captures the scale, you know, 20,000 chairs um, gives um, face in some way to, to those who have been taken, but also just that, you know, like I said, this is what we normally would do. We would, we would go and be together and comfort each other and hug each other. And so the empty chairs also in that way, I think symbolize just how disruptive the pandemic has been to our basic ability um, to grieve with each other and to be there to support each other. Yeah, that's, it's such a powerful image. Um, and for so many people, that was their connection to the pandemic. There was an empty chair at Thanksgiving yeah. or Christmas or the holidays. And, you know, it's, it's been devastating. Um, I've had the privilege of talking to so many COVID loss survivors over the last yeah. you know, many months. And that's just how they feel. They feel like, you know, their loved one has become a statistic very quickly. And they're also dealing with their own grief and trauma from it um, because many of them were not able to be there with their loved one when they died certainly have not been able to um, go through any of the rituals or funerals that they normally would have done. And like you said, haven't even just been able to hug and, and comfort one another, you know, extended family can't do that. Yeah. And you know, there are these things that you count on, right? You know, that losing a parent, a sibling, a child, a loved one is going to be hard, um, is going to be emotional, is going to be difficult, but you, you tell yourself that you will have these, rituals um, surrounding grief to comfort you and to help you through that. Like you said, being with family and friends, physically hugging people, um, being able to remember and celebrate live, the, you know, the, your loved one's life and all that was stripped away. And especially, you know, early on without, uh, without, without any, you know, warning or, or, uh, you know, it's done so suddenly. Um, and so, you know, that had that, that kind of, of loss has been, you know, truly traumatic. Uh, for people, and I think um, you know, we're just beginning to to wrestle with and 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 reckon with what does it mean um, to memorialize and remember hundreds of thousands of lives um, that have been taken, millions of people that will be living with um, serious after effects for we don't even know how how long yet. Um, we're still learning about the disease, and so how do we properly um, remember and center those stories um, in a national memorial in local memorials? Um, in a way that truly um, helps everyone feel like their loved ones um, have been remembered and recognized, but also more importantly, that we remember so that we don't repeat um, the mistakes that led us here. Yeah. Speaking of local memorials, that's how I got connected with you through Rosie, Rosie Davis and the Yellow Heart yeah. Memorial. Um, Rosie, yeah. Rosie came to our memorial. We, we host the Faith and Grief Memorial every holiday season here at Clyburn okay. Park, uh, kind of like Central Park in Dallas. As and we've done it for many years, um, and it actually came out of um, a tragedy around gun violence. Um, mm. There was a protest here in Dallas in the summer of 2016 um, around uh, the death of several um, young black men who'd been um, killed, and um, then a sniper um, opened fire on the first responders that came to the yeah. protest. The protest was ending. It was it was peaceful. It was a, you know, a gentle reminder of, of what people can do when tragedy happens. Um, and it turned um, into a, a, an additional tragedy very quickly. Yeah. yeah. And we started our memorial just out of that. Like we knew, we knew the, the families, once the casserole stopped coming and the news crews went away, that they'd still be grieving. And so we started it then. And Rosie yeah. came to our memorial and said, I want to do something like this. And I said, well, 
I said, what do you want to do? <laughs> and so she started the Yellow Heart Memorial, which is an amazing project that has just really taken off. Yeah, and uh, you know, what I think is so beautiful about it is is the idea of having, right, like your loved one's name visible and seen on a memorial, right? right? Not that my dad was a, uh, a Vietnam veteran, right? And I remember going with him as a little kid and not really understanding what you know, the Vietnam Memorial was in the way that I do now, but knowing that it was very solemn for him and it was very emotional for him. I, I think I, I was with him the first time he went there and I was probably eight or nine years old, but seeing the names, right? I remember going with him and looking up his his friends' names. And, um, and I think there is something uh, very powerful about seeing your loved one's name. And it's in some way, it's, it's a, at the most basic level, um, this person was here and their life mattered um and will continue to matter right and that's and that's in some ways um you know what what people are looking for is just this idea that this life that has been lived that has been taken you know needlessly um will be remembered um and will be loved and cherished for years to come and i think that's um so important for these local memorials and I, you know with the empty chairs you know, after we, we hosted it in DC, people started reaching out. Can I do one in Pennsylvania? Can I do one in Wisconsin? Can I do one, you know, all over? Um, and I think people are just hungry for being together. And I think, you know, like I said, we, we're just beginning to reckon with what does real and true and proper memorialization look like here. And a big part that has been missing, and even with the vigils that have happened, they have been primarily over Zoom and the ones that have been in person have been um, you know, socially distanced. And, and so um, I think we'll also need to think about when it's safe to be together in person again, what does that um, space look like for memorialization and comfort and healing and togetherness? Yeah, definitely. Because I, I do think once we get to a point where people feel safe to do, you know, group activities, um, you know, some are already meeting in person for small things, but um, it will be important for us to mark that. And it, it might be another year before yeah. we can yeah. actually do that comfortably, safely, where everyone can participate. Um, yeah. But it's going to it's gonna need to happen because we're going to still have to have some kind of reckoning around that. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and the, you know, the trauma that goes with losing your loved one in the way that so many did, um, you know, that's why I felt it was so important to start COVID Survivors for Change and to build weekly support groups and, and, and start to, to, to help people build community. Um, because you know you're dealing with with so such um, sudden and unexpected and in many cases you know because of the lack of action um, under the previous administration's efforts you know needless um, and so how can you build the support to help people heal from um, from that grief and trauma and that is you know that's not a that's not a, a box it's not a, a box you check it's not a that's a you know if not a lifetime journey certainly um, in the months and years. Um, and so how can we help people um, on that journey and find what is the path that feels right for them to come forward out of this to, to re remember and, and honor their loved one in a way that feels you know true and authentic to them. So in addition to the memorials, like you said, a lot of people are asking, uh, uh, can we do something local? Um, what are some of the other areas that you're focusing on with COVID survivors for change? Yeah, so uh, we, uh, like I said, that was the first thing we jumped into because that was the thing I, I heard most. And I think, um, you know, one of the most important things to do, um, well, in life in general, but but certainly in, in here um, is is to listen and to 
hear what people need. Um, and everyone needs something a, a little bit different. Um, but if you listen to enough people and you give the space to enough honest conversations, you start to see through lines of what people are looking for. So I know that, you know, re the remembering was here. That was especially important to the previous administration. Um, I know how um, I felt it, and I know so many others felt this, you know, this breath exhalation of just, you know, when, when President Biden had the memorial at the mall and has had other moments of silence, um, just how meaningful, um, and, and, and for some people, I think, you know, the absence of it, not even realizing how hurtful the absence of it was until you see the healing of the presence of it, right? And so, um, so that was where we focused immediately. Um, but then, you know, the other thing that we want to, we want to, we're doing and, and want to do is to build out trauma-informed programs. Uh, to support people being an advocate for change. Um, and that can look like a, a whole bunch of things, right? That can look for um, advocating for immediate COVID relief um, and a national pandemic plan to end this as soon as possible and to make sure the government is not just providing the resources that we need to end the pandemic, um, and uh, but also that we're providing resources to the families that have been economically devastated, um, that we are also you know, thinking about what does true memorialization look like um, and, you know, very importantly, what does true support and resources for the, the long haulers that are living with, um, you know, potentially, you know, many, many months, if not years of serious consequences and after effects from, from COVID, um, what, how are we helping, um, them getting the access to the research, the support, the resources that they need to heal, um, and be um, made whole or as close to whole again as they can. Um, and then finally, what are we doing to make sure this doesn't happen again? How can we learn, document the mistakes that were made, how they were made, why they were made, um, and what can we do to make sure that they don't happen again? Um, and so that's really, we're focusing on um, helping people be, you know, a voice um, and a force for change, so helping them um, and building out trainings around um, how do you share your story on social media? You know, how do you um, you know, what does the legislative process look like? How do you share your story? All those sort of things that go into thinking about how do you take this, um, this traumatic life experience? Um, and if you want to, because it's not for everyone, but if you want to, how can we find, um, you know, how can you find purpose um, and meaning out of that loss? And for a lot of people, that what that, that loss and meaning means is being a force for change and making sure that this doesn't happen um, to other people. Um, so that's really where we're focused on both the memorialization, uh, but also on the, on the training and the advocacy piece of it. Well, since it's, uh, survivors, we're talking about people who have experienced either tremendous loss or, um, you know, been through literally the ringer when it comes to just the ups and downs of both the healthcare system, as well as, um, you know, just the economic impacts of, of this time. Um, but it gets back to people, um, as we talked about both for the memorials um, and the rituals that people may not have done. What have you learned about people during this time? Well, um, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I think the, and I saw this in the gun violence prevention movement as well. Um, uh, I, uh, have learned that people uh, are amazing and people are awful. And I think um, you often in the aftermath of uh, tragedy, and especially when that tragedy is traumatic, um, you, uh, you learn that people, you see the best of humanity and you see the worst of humanity. And so I think that um, the way that people have come together, the way that people have built community, the, the way that people have stepped up, um, Rosie obviously being uh, a primary example of that, 
but to step up to to be build a space for others um, and to share what they their their face for. Oh, you're hearing my uh, my two year olds. Um, I love but, it. <laughs> when you're talking about people and and the you know there's good and bad, then you hear that and it just makes it all better. Yeah, she, she was know. like, I just want to make make sure you know that uh, that I'm here. But, uh, hey, buddy. Um, but that's how it's supposed so to I think, be. What's that? <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be. Two year olds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's you know zoom bombing. So um, so that's uh, so I think that you know that really that you learn like that there is such beauty in humanity, and then you learn that people can be cruel, and the way that people have uh, refused to wear masks, the way that people have politicized um, others' loss, the way that people have diminished that loss, all of that is really really hurtful, and it it sometimes shocks me. Um, at just how uh, how how hurtful people um, can be, and, and especially knowing when some of that that hurt is intentional with, within families, outside of families. Uh, but then, you know, but I always come back to and try to remember um, that the people um, who in grief and trauma um, are building something beautiful, um, and they're doing it in part because it, it gives them meaning and, and hope and healing. But they're doing it because they want to build that space for others. And I think in that co- connectivity is where uh, is where you know when you to think about that that that's where humanity really truly is in in those sort of connective moments in tissue yeah and certainly um the good does show up um yeah you know as bad and and crummy as some people can be at times um what was it i forget who said it was it mark twain that said i like you but i don't like people um <laughs> <laughs> right i hadn't heard that yeah, but that something, is that something is along really some, yeah. i'm paraphrasing i'm sure but yeah yeah, you know, yeah. it it is that way sometimes, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, but it's, it's been difficult. So during this time, um, how has this sort of broadened or changed or um, kind of impacted your beliefs, your belief system? Like, how's that kind of worked out for you? Um, that's a, that's a, that's a big question and a good question. Um, I think that, um, I think my, you know, my uh, my beliefs um, are really still anchored in. Um, I think you you get to choose how you show up in life um, to some to some extent. Not always, not always, and not not every day, and, and not in every moment. Um, but in the moments that you do have license to decide how you choose to show up, I think that is um, that is true here. Um, and I think because I have been surrounded by people who have experienced such uh, deep loss, but have found, um, um, have done so, so many beautiful things um, and powerful things with that loss on behalf of others. Um, I think I feel, I feel very blessed that I have been um, a part of that um, community um, and helping to um, build that community of people looking to make positive change in the world. So I think, I think um, this is just sort of reconfirmed um, those beliefs that there is a lot of uh, a lot of hurt and a lot of sadness and a lot of um, trauma and grief in the world, um, and um, every person has a choice to um, how they want to be part of that. And some people have a big role and some people have a small role, um, but everyone has a big role to someone um, in some moment and so, at some point in time. And so when you think about, um, you know, how you can show up in those and for you in your life, what is those big moments with others? Um, um, and so giving people, making it easier for people to show up in a good way, um, creating opportunities for people to show up in a good way um, and cheering people on when they do show up in a good way. I think um, that's sort of 
if, if you can, you know, bring that into the world and that, that is, um, I think that's, that's, I, I would say that that's part of probably what I've seen. Yeah. Well, I, my impression is you have to come from that space to be able to pull something together like COVID survivors for change and your work in, um, gun violence advocacy that, that comes from somewhere. Um, and so I applaud you for, um, continuing the good work. Yeah, well, thank finding, you. I appreciate that. Purpose. Um, yeah, and I think I think you, you either you either you either you either you know uh, you put plus in the world or or, or minus, and um, some days you put you know it's you put a lot of points on the board in one way, and some some days you're just putting one point on the board. But every day you get to show up and say, "Am I going to put a plus or a minus?" Um, and we all have, you know, we all have, uh, we both have, are limited in, in in the impact that we can have, and we also um, also have great power to have great impact. Um, and so looking for those moments where you can um, make big change happen in, in, in big ways, but also in small ways um, has been, um, you know, the sort of the guiding motivation of, of doing this work. And, and like I said, I draw such incredible strength and inspiration from um, all the, the community of survivors that I have met with and, and worked with both in COVID and gun violence, because um, the resiliency that so much, so many of them have shown. Um, and like I said, and, and, and that that commitment to making some good come out of such tragedy um, to benefit others um, and to bring um, safety and, and support and strength to others um, is, 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 you know, one of is, is, if not the most inspiring thing, but certainly one of the most inspiring things I've, I've been able to, to be a part of. Thank you for sharing that. So what's next for COVID survivors for change? What, what kind of events or activities are coming up or things that we need to be aware of? Yeah, so we, uh, I would say that, you know, we do some, some things that folks can know. We do every week, we do an online um, support group every Thursday night at 9 p.m. COVID Connections. And so um, that is a space um, where we have mental health professionals um, come and run those groups. And there's a little bit of learning about what is grief and trauma. And for example, with the holidays, we, we did, you know, what is coping with the holidays look like? Um, but we try to make it, you know, sort of um, calendar appropriate. Um, and um, we've had a couple hundred people sign up to be part of those. Um, and it's been really powerful to give that regular ongoing space um, to folks. And so that's gonna continue. Um, we're looking at uh, launching um, curriculum specifically, support curriculum specifically for long haulers. Um, we're looking to launch curriculum, uh, Spanish language resources um, and groups as part of that as well. And then building on the, the trainings that we've done. So like I mentioned, we've done, you know, social media training and uh, and some other things like that. Looking forward, we're, we're, we're working to build out some story sharing workshops so that people can come together in a very um, safe and supportive space to think about, well, how do I want to share, you know, my story, my loss, my experience um, in a way that um, that is safe and supportive and doesn't doesn't, you know, harm myself or doesn't, you know, re-traumatize myself um, and, and learn about how to do that in a way that that prioritize um, people's well-being, but also um, to give them some some support as they carry their story um, out into the world. Knowing how political this issue um, is and has been, um, I think that that is uh, top of mind, especially as you think about social media and the trolls and all, all that sort of stuff. And then thinking about um, trainings, you know, we're launching a training this month on how to apply for social security disability. So bringing trainings that are sort of in that nuts and bolts of how we can we can help people get the resources that they need as soon as possible um, that are, are available now, right? And then finally, looking forward, um, how do we people, how do we help people advocate for, like I said, for those 
um, resources um, that they will need in the days, weeks, and months to come. So that's you know part of um, advocating for um, COVID relief now um, as part of the package that's that's on the uh, that's being considered in Washington D.C. Um, but it's also looking beyond that and helping people advocate for memorialization, helping people advocate for resources for the long haulers. Um, and then I think beyond that, you know, continuing to create that space for people to connect and find that humanity um, in each other and to support the other groups that are working um, to do that as well. There are a whole, and I know that you've talked to Rosie and others, but there, there's a lot of um, beautiful work being done um, in the COVID loss community. And, and I want to do everything that I can and that we can um, to support um, those programs as well. And so as we look ahead and when we can be safe together, be, be together safely, what can we do to, to continue to create those spaces that we've done online, um, but to recreate those and reimagine what those that space and that support can look like in person as well. That's amazing. That's a long list. <laughs> <laughs> Just small, little, insignificant little projects. I'm joking. Well, those we'll, are, we'll talk are, in a few months and see. Yeah, I know. We'll, 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 right? But, but that's that's the vision and that's the dream and that's the that's the, that's the that's what uh, that's what we we hope to do. Yeah, well, they, it and sounds we amazing work. Just well, amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Thank you. And I I can't say enough for the organization. I have heard so many people have they found your organization, which was able to help them find others, and so that's really important. That, that really, that, that really, really means a lot to me. So thank you for saying that because that's why, that's why we're all here, right? We're all here to bring, um, to help people find, find, find their people, right? Yeah. Find their tribe, find their group, find their family, their, you know, their, their chosen family. Um, that's what is, uh, what is so important about all of this. Well, we heard from your um, co-anchor earlier, your uh, two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> She was, I wish I had the visual. She was like on her little uh, little scooter bike and was just like tearing it down the hallway. Awesome. That's awesome. So um, through all of this, where have you been uh, focused or where have you found hope? Uh, I, well, I think I've learned that I am uh, temperamentally a resilient person. Um, and I think part of that is is sort of you know, genetic temperament predisposition. And I think some of that is is um, being part of this these communities. Um, and I think I have learned and seen resiliency. And I think um, I have absorbed some of the beauty that people have brought into these spaces. Um, and I think that, um, I think, you know, kid hugs are, are, are really important. I feel, um, you know, very, very fortunate. I've got, I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old um, and I feel very, fortunate to have um, family that I'm very close with. Um, and, you know, my, um, my, my dad passed away from cancer about a year and a half ago. And so um, being reminded, especially in then and in these times of just how important family is. Um, and so I think that's where I, I draw hope from, from seeing the people that are fighting to make the world a better place for my kids. Um, and I think um, I wish that, um, uh, I wish that it wasn't, it shouldn't be this hard, right? Doing good in the world, making the world a better place, fighting climate change, fighting to end the pandemic, um, fighting to end gun violence, all these things should be easier than they are. Um, and we saw, you know, uh, just last month, how how um, how fragile even something that seems as sturdy as our national democracy um, can be. And so I sometimes uh, am, uh, uh, am, I'm frustrated by it, by 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 how hard all this is, um, but I am at the same time incredibly moved and, and motivated and inspired by the people who, despite 
that challenge and that difficulty lean in even more. Um, and knowing that it's hard work, um, the people that are doing that work um, day in and out, day out in communities all around the country, um, and especially in communities that you know are, are historically marginalized and overlooked um, and has been disproportionately impacted through the pandemic crisis and gun violence crisis and all um, and based on all those systemic um, inequalities, um, seeing all the work that they're doing um, is, is I think, where I, I drive hope most of all. Great. Thank you for sharing that. I, I feel the same way um, in so many ways. Um, people inspire Yeah, thank me. you. I know you're asking the questions, but thank you for doing all the work that um, you're doing. And I've heard wonderful things about you all as well. And it's, um, it's really an honor and a privilege to be here talking with you about it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Chris. And yep. again, thank you so much for the work that you've done. Um, I know just like in talking with the COVID loss survivors that I've been in touch with, which unfortunately is many, um, it's most appreciated. Um, they, through the work that you've been doing, feel seen and heard. And I yes. think that's the hardest thing for us right now um, because we all want to be seen and heard, yeah. but when all this other stuff's going on, it's really hard to feel like that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. It means a lot. If, and, and if that's, if all that we can do in the world is help someone else feel and a little bit more seen than they were before and a little bit more heard, um, it doesn't make bad things go away, but it, it does bring some healing. Um, and that's, um, that's in some days, some days that's all we can do. Right. Yep. And that's, and that's a lot though. So it is. It yeah. Is. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. The Faith and Grief Podcast is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to be a podcast producer, go to faithandgrief.org slash donate and give today.